welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. This podcast is sponsored by LowPay, the low-rate payment app that gives you more. So without further ado, let's get going. Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone is well. Happy Wednesday. It's our Wednesday night live, um, and tonight uh, we're going to be, well, we are, we're not going to be, we are joined <laughs> by Eloise Kite. Welcome, Eloise, how are you? Evening, I'm good, thank you. hope you are as well. Yes, I'm all good. Thank you for um, coming on today. So as I sort of explained to you, um, obviously uh, a lot of people in this in this group are business owners, they're pet groomers, they're in their own businesses. Um, and they have a lot of questions about like around running a business. So maybe um, so the particular questions that I've been getting in is about like wheels and power of attorneys and, and stuff like that. So perhaps you can introduce yourself and let people know what you do and how how you're going to help us tonight. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, so my name's Eloise, and I own and run Kite Legal Limited. Um, I specialise in private client law, so as Bill has already explained, part of that entails um, wills and powers of attorney. Um, so just to sort of give you a brief overview of what those two documents are, uh, most people are familiar with wills uh, being legal documents that set out um, where your assets go, where everything you own goes when you pass away, and also um, who would be in charge of dealing with those decisions for you. And a power of attorney is almost like a will while you're alive, essentially. It's appointing somebody to act on your behalf while you're still alive to make key decisions regarding finances or health decisions. Um, there are two types of documents. So that's a very, very brief sort of nutshell as to what they are. Um and how they operate perhaps we'll unravel that with some more questions yeah sure so um you help people not only in their sort of personal lives um sort out wills but also um you know advise them around the business side of things as well is that right Yes, absolutely. So I think most people don't realise the importance of having documents in place when you own a business. I think I know myself from having a business, when you set a business up, your priority is thinking about branding, where you're going to get clients or customers, um, setting up a website, and nobody ever thinks about their business continuity. They don't think, oh, what happens if I pass away? Or what happens if I lose mental capacity or if I'm just unwell and I don't want to or can't carry on running that business? Um, so I think it's something that often gets overlooked um, in terms of if you pass away, if you don't have a will in place. Most people don't realise that the only power somebody has is to wind that business up. So it is really important you have something in place if you want it to continue. So if you've got quite a successful business and say you employ um, a number of people, it it wouldn't perhaps be the best decision for that just to come to an end immediately if you pass away. Mm. Um, so having some sort of continuity plan. And similarly, if um, you were unable to run your business for any reason, having something in play- place means somebody can step into your shoes. Even more important if you're not a sole director, because again, most people assume, oh, well, somebody can just take me off the company and that will be the end of that. But that's not actually possible. Um, there's something in place in law called the Mental Health Discrimination Act. And you can't just remove a director from a company um, because essentially it isn't that person's fault if they've lost mental capacity. So there are, there are sort of lots of sort of moving parts to it that people don't realise. Um, 
and they don't realise that actually their business could be in quite a tricky spot without having something in place. Um, and that's really what I specialise in and can help set up for people. Oh, and you've you've helped me and Emma set up our wills and power of attorney, although we've been very poor uh, flying <laughs> at times. I do apologise about that. But maybe <laughs> um, we can just start off with like a very simple outline of what a will is and um you know can you do it yourself do you have to go to professional um what to put in it that kind of stuff yeah absolutely so a will essentially is just a legal document that sets out um who you would like to inherit your assets or your business uh, if you pass away so it from a business perspective you can also include powers to continue a business now in the short term that may be essential because say if I were to pass away and I pass the value of my business over to my husband my husband isn't a lawyer so it's really important that I have a business executor who can deal with my business and continue it pending the value passing to him so whether the business is sold or merged with another firm that the monetary value passes to him but in the short term I've got something like 130 live files at the moment. I couldn't just have those close because my clients have paid paid money on account and things like that. So um, within a will itself, you can set out who deals with things for you if you pass away. Um, there are other important decisions to make, like if you have minor children, appointing guardians for children. You can say who would look after pets and you can also leave a legacy with your pets if you wanted them to be looked after and leave some money. You can gift personal items, you can make cash legacies, and you can gift a limited company in its entirety. You can't do that if you're a sole trader, but if you are a limited company, you can gift your company to somebody. Um, wills tie in with other documents, so you may want to um, consider some sort of insurance um, if you're a director with another person, for example. So if I had, say, three directors and I were to pass away, the other directors might not want to be in business with my husband. So we might put in place some sort of insurance where they can buy out my share, essentially. So he takes the value and they can carry on. Um, so wills often work in conjunction with other documents. Um, you can do it yourself. I mean, well, in terms of doing it yourself, you can go online and you can find a cheap company. Um, but as with anything, buy cheap, buy twice. And I'm not just saying that from a commercial perspective. I deal with probate. So I see what happens when people opt for budget wills. And saving money now always costs more later. And, you know, the bills that I typically I raise on things that haven't been administered correctly in the first place are often 10,000 plus, whereas a simplest state might only be 2,000, 1 to 2,000. So in contrast, if you try and sort of cut corners, you always end up with problems. So the problem with budget wills and online companies and will writing companies is that they auto-generate documents based on information you give them. So you could tell me what you want to do. I can give you legal advice, so I can advise you correctly. Somebody who can't will just translate your instructions into a document, and that isn't, you know, potentially isn't what you want to happen. It might work, but it's a bit of potluck, really. I suppose, again, it... it, it you know, we've we've got companies, we've got children, we've got animals. And I know it was like taking care of each part of those. Like, who's going to look after the horse? How much do you want them to have to look after the horse? What do you want them to do? And I was like, well, yeah, just decide. You know, who's going to have the dogs? Who, who how much yeah. do you need to for them to look after the dogs? And it's like, wow, there's it's so much detail to go into that. 
Um, could you just explain the, the term probate just for in case people don't understand? Oh, sorry. Yes, of course. So um, that's my fault for referring to it that way. So many people refer to probate. Um, technically, it's incorrect to prefer to refer to that process as probate. But when people pass away, if they have a will in place, then you may need to apply for what's called a grant of probate. And it essentially is a certificate. It's a piece of paper where you go and declare to the revenue what the estate's worth. If tax needs to be paid, then it's paid. Um, you apply for a grant of probate with the probate registry and they will release that document to you once they can confirm that no tax is due or it's been paid. Now, larger assets, so anything worth more than £5,000, generally you need a grant of probate. Um, if you don't have a will, it's actually called a, it's called something, um, a grant of letters of administration. So the terminology is slightly different, and this is where it can become really confusing. And I think that uh, most people refer to the entire process as probate, and really that is just dealing with someone's estate when they've passed away. So you're just taking their will and, and the executor, so the person acting for you, is um, completing your wishes under your will. And that's what everyone refers to as probate, the probate process. Cool. This podcast is sponsored by Lopay. Lopay is half the price of SumUp and Zettle, so you keep more of the money that you earn. Rates start at 0.79%. So if um if if you run a, a business like a dog grooming business and you're a, a sole trader, um, but you don't have a will, what kind of what would the uh, and you passed away, what would the implications be for anyone around you or or anyone that lives with you or married to you, etc.? Yeah, so I suppose that the two, the only element you can add into a real really is the power to continue the business of a sole trader. So whether you want it to wind up or whether you'd want that to sort of go on as a going concern, it's a bit more difficult when you're a sole trader. You can't gift a, an entity as such because there isn't a shareholding. Um, there aren't directors. It's not a limited company or a partnership. Um, so it's just thinking about perhaps writing a memorandum of wishes to sit alongside the will to say, look, I, I'm a sole trader business and this is what I want to happen. Whether it's a saleable asset, it's just making people aware of that. Um, some people don't know anything about their partner, spouses or significant others' business. They don't actually understand it's got a value. So sometimes just having that down is really important so they know what to do. Um, so there are still options available for sole traders in terms of dealing with their business, but it's perhaps not as... Um, there aren't as many avenues to go down as there would be with a limited company or a partnership. So if a sole trader was as was renting a um a salon, they had obviously equipment. So some of the equipment like baths can be quite expensive and cost mm. like two and a half grand, some blasters. Some of them have got like billions of scissors that are worth money. Um <laughs> so there would be like the assets that they could be sold for for the partner. But <laughs> what would the implications be if they had a sole trader bank account? Would that get locked up with the it would yeah it would so unfortunately when it comes to somebody passing away unless you have a joint account with somebody typically accounts get frozen anyway pending some um so there are sort of two ways it can go if it's less than five thousand pounds or smaller accounts then most banks will accept just the will, so just a copy of the will. Um, if they request a grant of probate, unfortunately, you have to wait until you have that document to access those funds. They will release funds to pay tax. 
of course, <laughs> and they will release funds to pay funeral expenses, but otherwise accounts will be frozen until that time. Now, if you don't have a will and you need to get, so if you don't have a will at all, there's no authority to access those accounts. So if you do have a will and it's a small account, you might be able to access it. If you don't have a will, you can't access it. You have to apply to court to prove that you're the person who should be dealing with it. So nobody has any authority at all until you get that grant document that I talked about earlier. So um, the will can always be a gateway to actually accessing smaller accounts immediately. Whereas if you don't have it, you, you have to go through a whole rigmarole of proving that you're the person who should be accessing those funds because they have no other legal document to prove otherwise. Yeah. So if so, you so even even if it's your spouse, your your marital spouse or common in law spouse, um, you still can't access that sole traders no. account. No, you know, and you're talking about, you know, if say there's six thousand pounds in that account to then go to someone like yourself, go through the court process, that's probably yeah. going to eat away, yes, a large amount of all, all of that money. It could, it could do exactly, and actually, so somebody like me, I wouldn't act if it were um, a case where it's going to cost more than it's, you know, if it, if it were unethical. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. So I'd just say, look, it's going to cost too much for me to do this. And there's only this much in there. I'm not going to do it. So um, because it wouldn't be right for me to do that. So it is. it does put people in a really difficult position. And I suppose it sort of leads in as well to the power of attorney concept. Most people assume that if something happens, that their, you know, partner, spouse, whoever, somebody can access their account if they become unwell and that just isn't the case so um anyone with sort of elderly parents might think oh well actually yeah my mum and dad have just given me their bank card and pin number technically you shouldn't do that <laughs> lots of people do do it mm -hmm. but you can find if you run a business and you were to lose capacity or you were um it could just it could be that you haven't lost capacity you could be away for a long time for example during covid i was actually in thailand and i remember thinking I could be stuck in Thailand for months. And if that had happened, having I have got a power of attorney, otherwise I'd be the biggest hypocrite ever. Yeah. Um, it would be essential for that to be operated in the UK because there are things that I wouldn't be able to do, like signing things physically here in the country because of how the postal service was. So um, most people assume, well, actually, if I've got a joint account and um, something happens to me, surely my, you know, my, my, the other person on that joint account can access it, but they can't because if you lose capacity, the law protects people that are vulnerable. So if I had a joint account with my husband and I lost mental capacity, he wouldn't be able to keep accessing those funds unless he's got a power of attorney because the account would be frozen, even though his funds are potentially in there. So it can leave people in a really tricky spot. Um, yeah, so you're you're a sole trader, um, or your your other half is a sole trader. They've passed away. Uh, they've got a sole trader bank account, which you know many people are being funneled into now because the the current account providers are starting to get wise to it, and they're sort of saying, look, you need to have a specific sole trader account. You can't just use a a current account anymore. So you've got your sole trader um, business account, and all of a sudden, you know, your partner's passed away, and you just cannot access that account, and what if um, you think, you know, it's too stressful? Are there time limits on this? You know, you're adding so much stress to that person's life. You know, their other half just passed away and now they've got all this mountain of sort of paperwork yeah. to get through. And is there a time yeah. limit for how long they've got to access that account? And 
So it really depends on how quickly the court come back with the documents. So if the bank say, yes, you can access it with the will, you essentially can just give them a copy of the will and they should let you access the account or release funds. Mm. Um, If they decide, no, we need the grant of probate document, then you have to go through the whole probate application process. Now, I know that if you go online at the moment, they're saying eight to 12 weeks. But from my experience in the last two years, some of them are taking up to 10 or 11 months. So there can be a significant period of time between someone passing away and being able to access funds. And so sort of prior planning is essential to think about whether you need to move funds around or have them in it. If you have a joint account and someone passes away, it goes automatically to the survivor. So that might also be an option where you think actually we'll put some money in a joint account. Um, and make sure that so if I pass away my husband's got x amount of money to access so that's the other sort of planning technique you can use and um another uh thought I just it's just so are there there people you know that just go I I can't access this sole trader account I'm just gonna have to let it go and and I take it the money just ends up going to the state uh, no, that wouldn't actually happen automatically. Okay. So the money, yeah, the money will sit there. Um, in terms of time limitations, I'm not 100% sure if if funds would just dissolve. I mean, I've dealt with an estate recently where the lady's husband passed away in 2007, but she just wasn't ready to deal with it. So there are funds still sat in the account. I don't believe that the, power, the bank have the power to just think right. right we'll just get rid of it yeah. um because it would go to that person or their estate if they die um so usually an estate would always be administered but you don't actually realize how close you are to funds going to the state lots of people watch air hunters think lots of people have seen that <laughs> and they think a distant relative will get funds but actually you're not that you're not that far away from it going to the state so um, having something in place is really important uh, another thing that I think about is so again we'll we'll just finish up on sole traders and we'll move on to limited companies. So I'm sure it sounds a bit yeah. like this. That's the next stage, isn't it? But as a sole trader, if you're leasing a property for your business or um, and obviously you've got equipment in there without a will, it becomes very difficult to sell that equipment. What happens to the lease? I mean, could the landlord is there? Could the landlord come after the estate for? money yeah i mean it depends on the individual lease i think that's the thing when you deal with a probate you don't know what the liability um holder as it were is going to do so um it really does vary it depends on what they agree with the estate so um it depends if the estate's solvent as well sometimes it's insolvent in fact before i spoke to you i was just dealing with an estate where it's insolvent you have to try and negotiate with anyone who's owed money if they'll just write the balance down so you don't have to put the estate into insolvency because mm. that then, you know, it causes a cost money and it costs a lot of distress to the client. So, um, yeah, so I think it just it just varies depending on the individual circumstances. Similar with the banks, there is no sort of one size fits all rule to how they handle matters, um, which is why generally probate practitioners end up with work because it can be so confusing you've just got to meander through so many different processes um it's getting better there are bereavement departments in most banks now but it still can be quite difficult to deal with yeah so as a sole trader you know get that will in place get those wishes sorted out and um give loved ones spouses partners co-cohabitant people that live with you you know yeah to the bank and access to all the the leases and the equipment so 
Exactly. And just putting all, I think when you write a will, you just pull all of your paperwork together as well. So you're just looking at what's where. Um, I've got a document that I put together that you can just fill in um, and you put down details of your bank accounts, who they're with, um, if you've got any loans, who they're taken out with, because you might not have that sort of relationship with a partner or spouse that you tell them everything. So some people just their other half just won't know. Mm. So having it somewhere stored with your will, they then know where to go because that can be half of the the sort of distress that's caused to clients is when they think, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know where anything is. And there isn't any, um, there's something called tell us once that notifies government bodies, but there's no way to sort of fill in a form somewhere and then find out where everything is. So it is quite an investigative exercise, which is when it can get expensive with a lawyer. So ideally you want to sort of square it away yourself when you can so that it makes it a lot easier to deal with. Keep good records as well, then. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah. Thing is, have a box file. This is me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I know. I know it sounds funny, but I mean, that's that's it, really. I mean, I just have quite a thick envelope with a will, a power of attorney, a memorandum of wishes, setting out what should happen to my business, um, making it really clear to my husband: don't give it away. It has a value. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't. You know, it's we just work in different industries, so he's just really not that interested in what what I'm doing but then I've got a list of my bank accounts life insurance where who to speak to so accountants financial advisors just so that people know where they need to go because that can be really difficult otherwise yeah I suppose it's, it's thinking about and no one wants to think what's going to happen to them but it's actually just thinking a little bit about your family should the worst happen and trying to make it as easy for them as possible isn't it that's really the goal I think that's really um what I sort of strive to achieve when I work with clients, like let, let's make this as easy as possible on your family. And once you've done it and once you've completed it, hopefully you can just forget about it. And I think your first will and or power of attorney is the hardest because once you've got it in place, you can just tweak it and add to it and change it. But yeah. doing it the first time is probably the most difficult thing to do because you've got to think you've never sort of had to face those decisions before potentially. Yeah. So it can be quite difficult. So tell us about um, if someone is in a limited company on their own, and then we'll talk about limited companies with co-directors. Yeah, so a sole director, limited company, um, really you're sort of in a vulnerable position, again, if you don't have something in place. Um, There's no, if you're a sole director and sole shareholder, then there's nobody within your company that can carry on running it. So you really need to think a little bit more about whether you have a specific executor to manage that business and deal with that business and who that business goes to. And I do think it's a, it's harder to make that decision, actually, when you're a sole director and shareholder, because you're thinking, OK, who does this pass to in its entirety? Um, if you are a director and shareholder with another person, especially if they're involved in your business, it makes it a little bit easier because naturally what you might think is it passes to them. Now, I mentioned earlier about having insurances in place. You may think, well, I would like my business partner to carry on running it, but I don't want to give them all of the the value because, you know, I want that to go to my family. And that's where you can have an insurance and something called a cross options agreement in place so that the insurance pays out so they can buy out your spousal partner or whoever you're leaving it to, your children. um, And then, then they can carry on running the business and retain the share so that they don't sort of think oh great now I'm in business with a family member that I didn't expect to be in business with that might work for some people but not everybody yeah yeah and again it's the same I take it if you haven't got specific wills and power of attorneys 
accounts become locked. Exactly uh, the same. Yeah, exactly. Can't suit to you. No, uh, no, HMRC you can't file tax returns. Yeah, yeah HMRC. Everything becomes a lot more difficult, um, and that is potentially disastrous and can bring a business to an end. Um, and have no other option but to close it down. Because if you can't access funds, you can't refund money. If people have paid money up front, you can't pay employees if you have employees. Um, and especially if you have a co-director and the bank freezes the account and they're saying, well, actually, you know, I'm a co-director. They're, they're not interested unless you've got some legal authority to access it. So that's what the power of attorney gives you. If you don't have that, you can apply for something called a court of protection order. But that can take between sort of six and nine months to come through. So if you've got enough cash to keep it going for that long, then great. Most people haven't. You know, most people are sort of three or four months away from, you know, having to wind up, really. So um, it, it can just be an absolute disaster. Um, it's it's something I have come across and it is it is just so upsetting for family um, and friends involved, especially when it's a really successful business. I think people assume that people will have done something or I just think people just aren't perhaps aware of what happens if you don't have something in place. Well, none of us like to think about it, do we? Yeah, we just think, oh, it'll be OK. I've got a, I've got someone else as a shareholder. They'll be fine. They'll just take over. But yeah. it's not that simple, unfortunately. I mean, it's not a horribly complex process to go through. I, I hope you all agree with me. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I think you're right. The first one is we've done our first one, and I think it is it is daunting. You know, having to work out who and, and find people within your life, like who, who are you going to who are you going to uh, lumber the kids with, <laughs> or lumber with <laughs> the kids, or lumber the. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? You know, who am I going to, or who am I going to, who's going to be the poor soul to take all our dogs? You know, yeah. it's like a, there is a lot to think think about there. But I think that the issue, the, one of the issues is, is there's a lot of assumption made by us uh, about, you know, oh, I'm married, so everything will just go to my wife, or I've got a shareholder in my business, so everything will just pass over to them. But it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, unless you have a shareholder agreement, which again, most people don't yeah. because they're expensive and you don't sort of think about doing them. You just think, oh, you know, lots of people typically add a spouse onto a, onto a business with shareholding for tax reasons. They don't then think, OK, well, actually, I'm running it. They're a shareholder. So if you pass away, they still have a shareholding. So then, you you know, if you've got a majority shareholding, is that still saleable with them being a minority shareholder? So there are lots of things to think about. Yeah. There's lots of moving parts. And I think just having it all, it, it's so much better to do this while you're able to do it yourself. It's better that you retain the control to say who's who's dealing with it, say where it's going, than someone else comes in and the law dictates where your assets go, because that's what happens if you haven't got a will. And with a power of attorney, I mean, somebody has to come forward and put themselves forward to apply on your behalf. They then have to go through the actual court application process. It's horrible. Um, it, it's really lengthy and it's really um, in-depth compared to the power of attorney process and very expensive. I mean, it probably costs about eight times the amount a power of attorney does all in all. So um, depending how many you do, et cetera. So, and, and there were some quite interesting things. We'll come on to a power of attorneys in a bit, but there were some interesting things that you told us about with regards to limited companies. So, you know, if um, one of us or both of us was to pass away, say um, both me and Emma are both directors of um, our pet groomers, you said, well, you could actually ask your accountant to carry on the running of the business for you. However, yeah. 
the accountant could quite rightly charge you or charge the business like for time to do that so you could end up spending a lot of money having your accountant running that business absolutely yeah so sometimes people want to appoint professional executors um but you know, regulation dictates that I should always dissuade a client from doing so. Now, this is where there's also a risk with some will writing companies, they're regulated in a different way. So they um, they often work alongside trust corporations who will be professional executives or attorneys. And they say, it's okay, we've got these guys who can act for you. You don't often get the full picture. So they don't say, oh, they can act for you. But actually, they're going to incur, you know, £300 an hour, 20 hours a year or something. And you don't always get a clear picture of what that actually means. Mm. So in appointing a professional, in some cases, it's actually more suitable. So if you've got a really successful business, with a really, really high turnover, there's nobody in your personal life that you think would be able to sort of deal with that, then it makes sense if if your estate is going to accommodate that cost. But um, having them as the first sort of point of call isn't always the best option. But if it, again, it does vary client to client. And I think you think, well, I know my accountant and they're, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. But then you find out actually they're obliged to charge you hundreds of pounds an hour because they have to. Um, It doesn't seem quite as appealing. (laughs) I've got a few questions coming in about um, limited companies and some um, uh, staff members and stuff. Could you appoint a staff member as a professional executive? You know, if someone's worked in your business for a long time, they know the business inside out, they're, they're they're performing it day in, day out. Yeah, they're actually a really good choice. So a lot of my clients do. Sorry, I have a dog wanting to jump on me, so I'm going to have a dog now. Um, They're actually a really good choice as an executor because they know your business really well, so they would be able to continue to operate it. And you can limit it so you have an executor to deal with your personal estate and then someone who just deals with your business. So they would just have a separate limited grant, meaning they can only deal with your company. So they're they're usually a really good choice because they know where all the um, documents are. They know how everything operates. It doesn't mean that they benefit from it. It just means they can be paid. So you put a provision in to say they can be remunerated for it and they can just carry things on for you. Yeah, and they can then start the process of, do do we want to sell it? Do we want to carry it on? Or whatever the will um, says. Um, uh, Let me just read some comments that have come in. Uh, one comment here. I had to manage my mum's will. Probate was complicated in terms of language. We had to do this as she changed her will as her husband made the first one for her, which left him with everything. She had a damn good solicitor and they were worth every penny. Really helping me through <laughs> the wording of the will carefully to protect the whole family. That's good. Um, question here regarding pensions. Uh, they were yes. distributed separate to the will. Can yes. you explain this more for others? Yeah, absolutely. So um, typically, so pensions, I mean, I'm not a financial advisor, so I can't give financial advice, but um, pensions and life insurance, the two sort of entities, as it were, that can be, um, you can nominate a beneficiary separately to the will. So, um, sorry, I have another dog. (laughs) (laughs) The dogs are jealous. And I've got two and and they're they're really, this one especially is really needy. Um, So you can nominate a beneficiary of a pension or life insurance and it normally forms part of a separate trust, meaning that for tax purposes, it doesn't come into the value of your estate. And for administrative purposes, it goes directly to the beneficiary. So it does mean that, especially if you're a married couple, that money can pay out, you know, within a few days 
to that other person. So you're not waiting for it to go through that whole probate process and be really slow. So I think it is really important, if you know, to consider, do I have some sort of insurance in place that pays an income um, to my surviving spouse, children or whatever? Um, is that a, a good idea? Because it just means in the short term, they're OK financially. So that whoever you um, you add as your beneficiary to your pension or life insurance, that overrides yeah. any wills that are, are made? Yeah, it's completely separate to the will. So it's just administered completely separately. So if I deal with an estate, first thing I ask, you know, are beneficiaries nominated? Um, usually, even if they aren't, it still falls into a trust. And then the trustees being the... Um, the, the financial sort of account holder say who it goes to and they just look at the survivors um so yeah they are a really good sort of vehicle for moving funds separately if you don't want it to be the same as the will as it were we, uh, we were when i was in the police i was we were reminded quite often to make sure our beneficiaries were up to date as police officers changed families quite a lot <laughs> quite often <laughs> and uh, they didn't want that awkward conversation where it's like well the the ex-partner was uh, getting the pension and not the current partner so we we're reminded quite a lot to uh, make sure that was under review good they reminded you so many people sort of look at me blankly and say i've no idea who i nominated or if i yeah. have so. <laughs> yeah imagine like when i was i signed up in in uh, when i was 23 um, and put my beneficiaries in there and then you know 30 years later something happened yeah it's been changed so yeah, there was a, a lot of reminders going on no that's that's good that they do remind you <laughs> i think they know what police officers are like so um <laughs> uh, another one here i'm limited and have a few questions um yes. what would happen to staff uh well we've kind of covered that what would happen yeah. to staff? can they continue running the business if you named who takes over the company so i yeah. think yeah, yeah, you can, and they can be paid as well. So that's just all falls within the provisions of the will, just to I'm make assuming, sure the business continues. And I'm assuming that that's kind of probably in discussion with a partner, just say that so-and-so is going to be taking over the business. Yeah. Please work with them. <laughs> exactly. It, I mean, you're not sort of legally obliged to tell them, but obviously it's a good idea because nobody likes surprises. I think that's communication is key when it comes to drawing up things like this, just yeah. so that people know what to expect. And then if you've named that member of staff, how would they then go about accessing the bank accounts and um, business doc and the company's house and, and stuff like that? Yeah, so they would then have their own limited grant of probate specifically to deal with those issues. Um, so, again, it depends on what they're accessing. So it depends on the bank, you know, the, the which bank it is, what their internal process is. Generally speaking, it's usually just a case of um, presenting either the will or the will and grant probate um, and then filling in whatever document give you access. So there is generally a, a loosely a process to each account. Um, transfer of shares is something different. Um, that's something that I work alongside a firm of solicitors based in Haywards Heath who deal with um, share transfers to their business solicitors. So when you're dealing with probate, you might be appointing other lawyers to do different things or accountants to do different things. So um, it's sort of a professionals all working together, really. Yeah. OK, cool. Um, uh... There's a question that I might ask Katrina to just um, clarify this question. Can you take a lump sum from the business account as personal pay? So as, as I'm thinking, you know, can you take a lump sum from a business account to help you pay for, for pay for stuff? 
Um, if someone's passed away, yeah. it's again, you won't just be able to automatically access funds. It would just be a case of the executor doing that once they've got authority to. It's going to take time, isn't it? It would take time. Yeah, it would take time. Um, it is difficult with business continuity when it comes to accessing accounts when someone passes. Mm. Um, if nobody, you know, if nobody has access to funds anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it is all difficult to plan ahead. And I think that's where insurance is important because then you can have, you know, different business agreements in place. Um, I can actually get you more information on that if you'd like as well from um, the Jonathan Lee Network. And I can pass that over and you can put it in the group if you want to afterwards so that people sort of have an idea of, OK, what, you know, how does that work? Just so that in the short term, there's access to some funds, yeah. um, if that's helpful. Well, how... You know, if, if someone wants to pass away, they leave their company to their, their employee, employee, you know, are we talking six, nine months, year, or is it can be a lot quicker than that? Typically six months, I think is a good, yes, the time estimate I always give is six to 12 months. Um, things are getting a lot faster through COVID. It did create all sorts of problems and it meant that people become increasingly frustrated with probate practitioners and it really wasn't our fault. Um, right in the middle of that, they changed the system as well and digitalised it all and it didn't work. It only half worked. So, so um, I, I would say it'd be a fair estimate to say sort of six months if there's no sale of property involved. Um, so it, it's not, it's not going to take years unless you've got multiple companies and multiple streams of income it might take a bit longer just because yeah. you've got a bit more to deal with but first time you can get the will and stuff over to the banks and start accessing the banks so you can pay yes. bills and pay other employees and, and stuff like that exactly it's so a smaller balances they'll let you access it anyway so that shouldn't be a problem to be able to do that okay so that that's the wills kind of side of things and i think anyone that listens to this and have been on the other side of having to deal with um people passing away or probate and they will know how important or how much how difficult it's been where people haven't either had wills or the wills haven't been kept up to date and or they've got a fantastic up-to-date will and they'll understand the importance of how 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 that's helped them sort of thing yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think I think that covers everything. Um, if anyone has any questions, again, I'm happy to just answer them afterwards by email. Yeah. So let's talk about powers of attorney because they they are different, aren't they? To wills of people passing away, power attorneys can be enacted for people that are still alive and, and with us. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's um it's important to draw the line between the two. So many people blur the lines and get confused with these. So um, it doesn't help actually that American terminology is different to ours. So an attorney is essentially a lawyer, um, but in America, an attorney in England has a totally different meaning. Right. An attorney is somebody who essentially steps into your shoes and acts for you either with your permission or if you lose mental capacity or if you're unable to make a decision. So loss of capacity, most people think of the worst and they think of, you know, it could be um, that you have Alzheimer's, dementia, something like that, um, or you have an accident, but it could be temporary. It could be that you fall and hit your head. You could have an operation and you don't wake up straight away. Um, It could be that you're just really unwell and you can't make sense of anything and it's affected your mind temporarily so it doesn't always mean a permanent loss of mental capacity um 
the nice thing that you can do with financial documents is you can say someone can act immediately with your permission. So my own power of attorney, that's what I've done. So that if I ever want to take a step back from the business and say I want to go on holiday for six months, I can do that because my attorney can step in and keep paying staff and keep, you know, processing invoices, whatever it is, um, without me physically being there, but also without me selling the business. So you can keep, retain your business, retain the shareholding, keep any dividend payments, but someone else steps in. Um, now, with powers of attorney, there, there are two types, the so one that deals with finances and one that deals with health. But again, what most people don't realise is that you can also have a business power of attorney. So on the face of it, it looks like a financial power of attorney. But what that does is when we talked earlier about having, say, an employee as a business executor, you could have them as your business attorney, but then have your spouse, child, brother, sister as your personal attorney. So they deal with your personal accounts so that your employee doesn't access you know, can't sell your house, for example, or access your bank accounts because you probably don't want them to do that. Um, sometimes you can have the same person acting on both. So, for example, if you've got a business with your spouse or partner, then they're probably suitable to do both. Um, but sometimes it's it's almost essential to have a separate business attorney. Um, I think in sort of your profession, it wouldn't be as essential as say mine because it's regulated practice so I couldn't have my husband acting for my business for example and I'm sure he wouldn't want to anyway so um, there's quite a difference between uh, you know whether your business attorney is suitable to deal with your personal and vice versa yeah. um, so you can make these as complicated or as simple as you like some people just keep it simple one person or two people deal with everything some people think actually I'd rather have my business partner as my attorney because they will know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, now, that could accidentally create a conflict of interest. So, again, it's just making sure that you do have the right personal people and you discuss it with your business partner. Because, again, if you don't do that and then they oppose the application later, it, it could just cause a problem if they just say, actually, I'm not happy with this person acting and it's better to, to tell them now, really. So if someone has got a financial power of attorney, they get access to all of your, to be able to make financial decisions on your behalf. Is that pretty much? Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, either with permission or because you've lost capacity. So it'll be one or the other. Do they always go hand in hand? Do you have to have the, the health power of attorney with the phone? No, you don't have to. Um, that is a personal decision. So the health one is only if you lose capacity. Yeah. Um, it, everyone's different. So it depends how strongly you feel about whether you'd want life-sustaining treatment. If you have medical treatments, you would or wouldn't want to have. You know, one of the controversial topics, I suppose, the past couple of years is vaccines. Some people feel so strongly they either would or wouldn't want to have vaccines. That actually triggered them drawing up a power of attorney to make sure that their wishes are down correctly, particularly where people were, were concerned that it would be mandatory and they didn't want to have it. So um, it's really sort of putting your your health into someone else's hands, I think can almost be a more difficult decision than the financial one. So there's quite a lot to think about if you go down, down the sort of health road. Um, so you don't have to have both. You can have one or the other. Um, I think if you were going for one, I would always say choose financial because that one is the one where you're most stuck without it. Without a health one, it's not the end of the world, but it does mean that essentially people don't have a say where people again assume they do. So people think, oh, my next of kin will decide, but they don't have any legal authority. So 
yeah, typically doctors consult with them. But if they decide to ignore your next of kin, there's nothing that that person can do. So if you say, you know, say you were concerned that if you contract an illness that you're not going to recover from or have an accident, I think my example is always Michael Schumacher. It's having something in a document where you can say, um, actually, I wouldn't want any ongoing treatment or actually I would want ongoing treatment. So it just depends really on the person how they feel about those decisions. So is this where we see cases go into the courts where the, the hospitals and the doctors want to um, or don't want to treat a particular patient, yeah. but the family do, but because there's no power yeah. attorney in place, that causes that sort of butting of... Exactly that. So you have emergency court protection applications and the court has to step in and decide what they think is in that person's best interests. Mm. So having the power of attorney just avoids that situation. Now, obviously, if someone's under 18, they can't draw up a power of attorney. So sadly, you do see those cases where decisions are being made for children in mm. children's best interests, where the parents might think it's they want one thing and the court don't agree and they want something else or medical practitioners don't agree. And I think they're always the saddest cases and the hardest ones to sort of wrap your head around because that person couldn't have drawn a power of attorney anyway. Yeah. Um, now, if it, sometimes as well, I you know, just sort of a question that would pop up in my own head. Or what if they, what if say somebody can't make a power of attorney ever because they are born with, um, you know, something that limits them from the capability? There are options. So I mentioned earlier the court of protection application. So if somebody's under 18, you can't do it till they're over 18. But you can make a court application, um, which I've done a few times for clients, say if they've a child who's, um, who's, so sometimes it's a medical negligence case. So I had a medical negligence case where actually a child was came, sorry, came into a large sum of money. So it's in their estate. Somebody needed to administer for them because they're autistic. Sorry. Your dog's playing. <laughs> they, they heard a dog outside. <laughs> Deep joy. <laughs> I'll stop in a minute. There we go. <laughs> he stopped. Yeah, so you can, there are other options. You can go down that route, it just takes a little bit longer. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it's a, to touch on it with um, with ourselves getting older and having elderly parents. You know, there's a lot there's a lot more sort of dementia and Alzheimer's and, and, and stuff around like that more yeah. prevalent these days. Maybe perhaps we hear about it more, but um, you know, trying to catch that power of attorney early is is quite yeah. That's a really good point to bring up, actually. Lots of people assume it's something that comes with age and they think, oh, I, you know, I deal with that when I need to. Um, it may be a case that you can't by the time you decide to deal with it. Mm. So sometimes I, I have clients sometimes who are in their 90s who have never written a will or a power of attorney. And I always think you are so lucky to get to this age and still be able to do it because none of us know what's around the corner. And I don't mean to sound all gloom and doom, um, but I, I experienced this personally, actually. My mum slipped and hit her head. Um, mm. in her garden and she um, she was completely non-verbal to begin with she sustained a brain injury so that still affects her daily now but not um, not really severely but initially it was quite scary and um, she didn't have a power of attorney despite me being her daughter and nagging her on a weekly basis to do it yeah. um, she hadn't done it and you sort of realise then actually I tell people all the time why you should do this but when you're on that side of it you think okay this this feels awful especially considering what I do 
having a parent who now can't make a decision. And my mum's only 62. So she's not elderly and she's not particularly frail or anything. It was just a, a freak accident that happened in the garden. She tripped over a rock and kept going, kept stumbling and fell into a recessed stairwell. So um, none of us know. And Michael Schumacher, again, I mean, I think he was 42 or 43 when he had his skiing accident. So none of us really know what's around the corner. And I think having it in place is a bit like life insurance. You sort of hope you don't need it, but if you do, it's there. It's there, it just gives it? a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah, and I think it goes back to um, that point earlier, wasn't it? It's like, it's not really for, for us because if mm. it's being enacted, then we're probably not going to know about it. Yes, yeah, most of the time. It, it's more for, for your family, isn't it? And your loved ones and to make life a lot easier in really tough, difficult situation. Absolutely. It's it's allowing them to have access to make decisions for you and access money. Um, so, you know, one of the one of the initial concerns always is somebody's really ill. We need to pay their mortgage. We need to access their accounts. We need to make sure their bills are set up on direct debit or they might need care in the short term. And we don't have the money. The money's in their account. It means you can access the funds immediately with a power of attorney. So you can just go into a bank. I've got the power of attorney. Here's the document. Please put me on their account. You get your own bank card and your own checkbook, et cetera. And then you can just pick things up. And I think in my case, when it came to dealing with my mum, a health and welfare power of attorney isn't supposed to be used until someone's lost capacity. But generally, doctors and medical practitioners will listen to an attorney. So where she couldn't communicate very well um, and was getting frustrated, I could sort of speak for her and help her translate things. So, you know, it, it, once we did have it in place, it became really helpful. And that's ongoing now because she because she has a brain injury. She gets really frustrated and short tempered. So it's always better to let me deal with it. <laughs> so it definitely is helpful. <laughs> so um, if someone was to come to a practice like yourselves, is it um, are the fees fixed or are they dependent on how big the estates are, what needs doing, how big the business is, et cetera? Yeah, so it depends what you're doing. I mean, I I personally operate on a fixed fee basis for wills and powers of attorney um, insofar as they're simple. So if things become more complex, I sort of have an upper limit of what a will will cost. Um, when it comes to dealing with an estate, so the probate process, that varies. It depends on how much is involved, how many executives there are how involved they want to be. So I always offer the option of working with people. So if I have an executive, I've got an executive, for example, who's an accountant and he's more than capable of doing things. So I sort of say to him, this is what to do next. How much do you want to do and how much do you want me to do? So I always do a a cost estimate based on how much time I think it will take um, to administer an estate. But to give you an idea, you know, a smaller estate would be sort of £750 to £1,000 but a very large complex estate might be between sort of twelve and 15,000. But we're talking, you know, I've got one where there's something like 15 shareholdings, a property, 10 bank accounts. You know, it's really complicated. So that's when you're looking at the higher fees when, when there's a lot more work to do. I've not come so across any pet groomers yet that have got shareholders. <laughs> not yet, but not people yet. could surprise you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. There's always, there's always room for that. Um uh okay let me just check the the questions again and then i think no problem i think we're scared out by city and sweet they are yeah, there's a dinner time for them uh, yeah no 
Fiona's uh, Finola has asked um, what happens if a limited company, if only one director, and they can no longer run the business for any reason. So again, yeah. that's either covered by the will or yeah, if- or the power of attorney. Yeah, if you haven't got power of attorney, nobody has the authority to remove you as director and continue running that business. So it would probably be you know wound up essentially, unless you can get a court application in. Um, but that could take such a long time; it might just be sort of too late to do that by then. Yeah, we've got listeners in the states as well. I know it's you know you're well travelled, but I don't know if it's your your department. But um, if you're in the states, how do the Americans deal with this kind of stuff? Is it still I, and- yeah, it's actually quite similar to the UK system in America. Um, so that I know that they have powers of attorney and they have wills, um, but how exactly how it operates, I yeah. couldn't say. I know. Um, I did study US tax, believe it or not, and it's that's very different. So, yeah, it would depend on the laws of the country, really. So um, English powers of attorney can apply in other jurisdictions, but it, it's one of those things where you need to speak to a foreign lawyer and sort of check with them. I mean, in America, it might be state by state, mightn't it? Exactly that, because it changes. But probate's so similar in America to, to here. Right. So it's quite transferable. Right, excellent. Okay, well, cool. So, um, what I'll do at the end of this, I'll, I'll make sure your details are in the uh, in the comments. So, if people can um, contact you, what's the best way to get hold of you? Is it email or or uh... probably email? Yeah, and then um, I've got a PA, Alison. So, any that I can't answer straight away, she'll always get back. And then, if anyone wants to have an initial call, I always offer a free sort of fifteen minute initial call with people just to explore a bit further. And I can give an idea of costs from the outset as well so that people can decide, you know, what they want to go ahead with if they want to do anything at all. Mm. Um, and then sort of take it from there, really. And what's your email address? Um, so it's Eloise, which is E-L-O-I-S-E, at Kite Legal, K-E-Y-T-E, legal.com. I blame my husband for that. I was Mackenzie. It was a lot easier. made it complex. He did, yeah. And can people find your your business on Facebook, website, everything like that? Yeah, I've got I've got Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, online. Yeah, I've got a website, kitelegal.com as well. Cool. I'll make sure I put all those in the in the comments and the and the, the what goes with this. So yeah, uh, you know, not the nicest of co- subjects to talk about, but I think it's really important for our personal lives, but also for our our businesses, so that we know exactly where we stand or we, the people around us know exactly where they stand if the worst should happen so um, yeah. thank you for coming on and making my it pleasure. explaining all the all the technicalities around it my pleasure thank you for having me yeah, you're welcome take care right, yeah, you too take care all right i hope you've enjoyed this podcast please make sure you give us a like or a review to help people find it The podcast is sponsored by Lowpay. Head over to www.lowpay.com to find out more about their payment solution.